0: It's not about what you want, it's about what you're willing to do to get it. Run it again. Hello and welcome. I'm not going to, so quit asking.
1: When you give me a hard time. For the listeners that didn't get to go. This is the payback. Alabama
0: wins! What you did last year really doesn't matter.
1: Our goal is to have the kind of team that nobody wants to play. All right. Hello and welcome to a Tough Love edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Folks, I'm going to call it straight. I've seen more Eeyore, I've seen more Chicken Little, I've seen more Bama on Bama fan crime in the chat rooms, I've seen more lazy and piss poor articles after a single game than I have in a long time, certainly during the Saban era. Now, I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners are immune to this level of dreck and drivel, but... Let me position this very plainly from the jump. Put down the Kool-Aid, not the five-star recruit. This is Jonestown. Put down the Jim Jones Kool-Aid and dislodge your head. This season is not over. This team still has plenty of ass left to kick. Now let's jump in and let's unpack this. Love, love, love. Jalen Waddle. He's one of the best we've had. He's one of the best that we've seen. Truly feel an incredible amount of empathy for this young man and relief beyond measure that the reports on his injury are so positive. But what do we say around here? More than one thing can be true at once. I won't sing it to you, but CCR was right. Have you ever seen the rain coming down on a sunny day? Listen, I like pizza and tacos. I like blondes and brunettes. I like cars and trucks. I even like both kinds of music, country and Western. So, as gut wrenching as the Jalen Waddell injury was and is, it's not the end of this season's story. And I hear, I'm hearing a lot, I'm seeing a lot of that type of commentary, and it's disgusting. So, here's the truth again, more than one thing being true at once. Here are 10 truths that contribute to the mosaic of this situation. You're not going to get this anywhere else, but this is the reality. 10, it's not the 10 truths, it's 10 of the multiple truths, the many truths that contribute to the mosaic of this situation with Jalen Waddell. So one, we've already said it, we're going to restate it. Incredible amount of empathy for this young man, the injury that he suffered, uh, a, a college student, uh, junior in college, you know, I, I hate, hate that type of, of injury. If it was a student walking, walking across the quad going to the library, it, it would absolutely suck. And so we have an incredible amount of empathy for this young man and his injury. Two, it is also true that Jalen's future is so incredibly bright. We should all be so lucky to have the future ahead of us that Jalen still has uh, ahead of him. Uh, Three, Jalen Waddell is one of the best wide receivers in the country. No question. Number four, Alabama wide receiver core is still one of the best in the country. If they were absolutely the best with Jalen Waddell, they remain absolutely one of the best without him. Smitty, Mechie, Slade, Javon uh, Javon Baker, Najee, uh, Jaleel Billensley, others contributing to the pass receiving core. This is still one of the best wide receiver cores in the country. Make no mistake. Don't get it twisted. It's true. Number five, you don't just replace a Jalen Waddle, Truly one of the best players in the country. You don't just simply replace a Jalen Waddell. However, you don't try 10 guys out there either. You're going to play 11, so someone needs to step up. Someone needs to perform in that role. Slade Bolden Saturday against Tennessee did a phenomenal job I thought he represented very well the routes the motions the end arounds, the screens he can replicate a lot of the looks that Jalen did I would even say inside you know 15 yards from the line of scrimmage because I don't think Slade has uh, he has superior athleticism. But I don't think he has the top-end speed, the wheels that Jalen does. So inside 8, 10, 12 yards, I think he can replicate at at a very high level what Waddle was doing. When you go to stretch the field, the 87, the 90-yard touchdown passes, I don't think Slade quite represents that. But Slade can definitely run nearly all of the plays. And what I was impressed with was not just – you know, go out there and run a slant, but the motions. So his understanding of the playbook and his execution relative uh, to being thrown into the game in a high profile position, in a high profile uh, opportunity without, I don't want to say without practice, but certainly without expectation uh, that he was going to play. I thought he played very, very well. Truth six, production, a.k.a. Mac Jones, will find a way. This In this game where Jalen went down in the opening kickoff, never really played an offensive stamp, snap, the offense still mustered almost 600 total yards, almost 400 yards passing, and put up 48 points. Again, with no concept that they would be playing without Jalen Waddle. Seven, planning and preparation will further spread the production. Look, a one-legged man in an ass, ass-kicking contest at least has a plan of how to perform based on what he doesn't and does and doesn't have. Let's see what Sark can do with a week of practice. And let's see what Sark can do following the bye. I think we're going to see some distribution of the ball in a different way to reap to replace not the player, not the individual, but the production, the opportunity. Truth eight. Defenses will blanket Smitty. Yep, we've been hearing a lot of that this week. Okay, that's just. You know, that's almost the excuse for the season being over because they're going to, defenses are going to bracket Smitty. Here's what I say to that Georgia tried that. Mechie had a great day against Tennessee. And so if you're going to bracket Smitty, you're going to open up the opportunity for Mechie. Smitty can play against double teams, he can catch the ball in double teams. So watch for the game planning, watch for the running game to pick up. So you bracket Smitty. And I think there's enough weapons across the offense, especially with additional prep, that uh, that the Alabama offense is g- going to be able to take care of itself. Uh, truth number nine, elite teams we won't be able to run with. That's what people say. Uh, against the elite teams, Alabama now without Waddle, won't, Alabama won't be able to run with them. They won't be able to score with them. They won't be able to compete with them. So when you say elite teams, who do you mean? Perhaps do you mean someone like Clemson? who is missing Justin Ross because he was lost for the season, potentially his career uh, ended in fall camp? Or have we forgotten about that so it's no longer part of the narrative? We have a woe-is-me injury that derails our season, but because we forgot about Clemson having a similarly talented player unavailable for the season, it means it doesn't count? That makes no sense. Truth 10, quoting Jonathan Allen – Alabama does. So whatever the situation, don't worry about it. Alabama does. And look, we like bonus stuff here at the podcast. And so I'm going to give you a bonus. I'm going to give you a bonus 11. A truth. These are all truths. This is true as well. They give it to you for free on the twenty-five. So we love Jalen. A lot of empathy for Jalen, but there's a tapestry. There's a mosaic of truths. There's not a single truth that if he plays we win. If he doesn't play we lose. That is that is loser speak. And the mosaic of truths come together and really start to put out the uh, sort of the relief or the landscape of of what what reality is. And I think there's a lot of bright days ahead for this Alabama team. I think there's a an incredible amount of bright days ahead for Jalen Waddle. I meant to say this when I was stepping through sort of his, uh, the brightness of his future. The injury that he has is an injury that Kenyon Drake had during his playing career. Now, the irony is not lost on me that Kenyon Drake got hurt in the NFL yesterday, the day after Jalen, but that's a second injury. The injury we're talking about is the the same injury, the, uh, sort of the fractured ankle with the severe sprain that Jalen had as well as Kenyon. What Kenyon, you know, we're comparing very, very similar players, uh, players that are reliant on speed, on their flexibility, their change of direction, uh, their elusiveness uh, in the open field. So they share a skill set. You can say one's better than the other. That's fine. That's not the discussion. The, the, the discussion is that they share a skill set. We're not talking about an offensive lineman that doesn't move around uh, necessarily a lot. An interior guard versus a running back or wide receiver. We're talking about very uh, comparable players. And Kenyon came back not only to have a phenomenal career at Alabama, but uh, he has fared very well uh, in the NFL. So when we talk about Jalen Waddell's future being bright, there's a template for coming back from this type of injury that that we've witnessed, that we've observed very, very, very recently. All right, so we're going to flip gears a little bit. We're going to kind of get back to our regular scheduled programming. I just thought, uh, in all the stuff that I did preparing for the podcast and, and reviewing, you know, f- stuff from the game, it was very disheartened by uh, some of the content that I was seeing, and so I wanted to put something out there that was a little bit representative of what I was thinking. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that uh, hopefully that foot the bill. So Alabama forty-eight over Tennessee seventeen. Let's jump into uh, to the offense, and there's a couple of things that really jump out from an offensive perspective, Alabama had thirty first first downs. And so the, you think about these numbers, thirty first first downs, Alabama was seven of 12 on third downs. So there's a couple numbers there that are interesting. Seven of 12 on third downs. That's a lot. That's a nice clip. I like that, but third, but 12 third downs, With 30 first downs, that means Alabama is moving the ball. They're converting first downs on first down. They're converting first downs on second down. They're not getting to third down. They're not needing that third down conversion, uh, so to speak. This is not the first game where we've looked at the numbers in that way. And, again, we saw this again uh, with Tennessee. All of Alabama's touchdowns, what's irony, this is irony, right? Mac Jones goes 25 for 31, 387 yards, no touchdowns. How do you throw for that many yards and, and, and have no touchdowns? It's ironic that in a game where Jalen Waddell gets hurt, not even on an offensive snap, that no wide receivers get a touchdown. That's sort of spooky weird, right? Uh, but that's you know a little bit of reality there. But think about this. For offensive offensive efficiency, all of Alabama's touchdowns were scored from inside the seven. The longest play for a touchdown was from the seven-yard line. Now think about Texas A&M where the longest touchdown was 87 yards. Think about was it Georgia where the longest touchdown was 90 yards. We've seen multiple 40 and 50 yard touchdown plays. And so not that there wasn't big plays uh, against Tennessee, but there was also a methodical moving the ball down the field and rarely was the Alabama offense. Rarely was that shut down or stopped. So I really like the way the offense is coming together. The big plays are still there. The accuracy and proficiency in the passing game is still there. But this running game is really starting to gel. It's really starting to come together. And so the fact that Alabama scored all of their touchdowns from within the seven, discounting offensive touchdowns, I'm not talking about the, the, the scoop and score, all of the offensive uh, touchdowns from the seven or within, a um, couple at the two, couple at the one, that, that speaks to proficient, method- methodical uh, moving of the ball in offense. I think that's spectacular. Uh, we talked about Mac and his numbers. He didn't throw for any touchdowns, but he did have a rushing touchdown. I want to talk about that a little bit. Uh, we did see Bryce Young come in, and uh, he was three of five, uh, should have been four of five, and actually he should have had a passing touchdown. Uh, ball bounced route out of uh, uh, Slade Bolden's hands. I know that Slade uh, probably pops up at night thinking about that one. What I what I like, obviously, I would have preferred the touchdown. But I like the play design. That was a, just a quick pop, and, and Slade was open, and it hit him in the hands, and it should have caught him uh, – should have caught it. And so that's you know that's spending some time with the jugs machine, uh, catching the ball, working on his hands, getting them up, catching the ball. That's something that he could absolutely work on. I think he has the athleticism and the dedication to work on that. Uh, but I like the play design and the fact that the play design absolutely worked. And think about – Think about other teams that have to uh, rep plays like that. They don't. They don't not rep it because it didn't work in the game. Oh, the player dropped it. So we don't have to. We don't have to plan for that. We don't have to allocate uh, sort of a, a, a defensive alignment uh, to prevent that. No, the play worked. The guy just didn't catch it. And so the defenses have to think about that. They have to prepare for that. And that's certainly a nice play to have, um, sort of in the arsenal. Najee Harris. I want to talk about Najee for, for a minute uh, and just phenomenal great things that uh, I want to say about Najee. So he had 20 carries for uh, 96 yards, so he was just right at the 100-yard mark. Uh, he was just shot five yards per carry, which is, is a sensational average. He had uh, three touchdowns. He, Najee, had some of the most amazing runs in compact spaces – Uh, There were times where it looked like he was going to be caught in the backfield and he would turn it into a a four-yard game. There were times it looked like he was going to get stonewalled at the line of scrimmage and he would convert it into uh, a first down run. So his vision, his balance, his tenacity, his toughness, all of that was on incredible display uh, against Tennessee Saturday night. He almost uh, broke a couple of long runs. Najee is becoming very much the workhorse of this offense. He is a joy to watch. I thought that his carries would be distributed more than they have been, Um, but uh, he is by far the bell cow running back, and he is such a joy to watch. More fun to watch this season than I was expecting, than I was anticipating. So happy uh, for what we're seeing from Najee. Uh, Now, there's a but. There was some something that I saw from Najee that I didn't like, and I saw uh, I've seen where commentators are, are commenters on different message boards are really being raked over the coals for this, and I just think that's I, I think there's something real here. Uh, Najee's sort of persona or Najee's reaction to not getting the touchdown and Mac Jones scoring the touchdown. I will agree with Najee that I think he scored the touchdown. I think the officials called him down uh, when they shouldn't have. That should have been a touchdown. So I'll grant you that. I will even allow, and uh, I think Danielson said this on on the broadcast that, that 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 play may have actually been designed to be handed off to Najee again. Now I don't know that to be true, but the hole that Mac had was so big that he may have elected you know, almost an RPO's style uh, play, he may have elected that, hey, I'm just going to tuck this in. There's no there's no need to risk a handoff. There's no need to sort of, uh, you know, risk not scoring over here when this is such a clear lane. I'm going to run up right behind Landon again in this hole that's here and I'm going to score. Now, I don't know that to be true, but I'll even concede that, that, that that's true and that, that Najee was expecting the ball and didn't get it. And so maybe miffed that, I scored, and they didn't credit to me. Maybe a little bit myth that ah, I thought I was going to get that ball and I was going to score, uh, and I didn't. But the way that he turned, almost while the play was still going on, the way that he turned and walked off the field while the rest of his teammates were celebrating, I found that disappointing. Uh, I think Saban did too. Saban got in his ear, and Najee missed. Um, I think he, he had to set out uh, a, series, uh, a series or two and had – Uh, Brian Robinson not gotten dinged up uh, Najee may have sat out for even even longer than he did I don't think that there's a lot of I'll say excuse making or rationalizing that when Najee was on the sideline looking uh, looking you know very sullen that oh he just feels so much pain for Jalen Oh, that's why he looks so disgruntled. That's why he looks so sullen. Because he he's just in the moment, feeling so much pain for Jalen. I'm sorry, that just sounds weak. Uh, I don't believe that. It's one thing to have empathy for uh, a, for a brother in arm. It's another thing to focus on the game at hand uh, and, and and win one for uh, for your for your partner. Win one for uh, for your running mate. Not to look sullen in on the sideline. I think there's something there. I'm not clinical. This is not a diagnosis in any way. It's just a question. I wonder if it's something almost like, Ars- Ar- what is it? Asperger's. Uh, it's I, There's something there and that's not an ac- I don't mean anything negative by that. It's, it's, I, I, I speculate almost by way of fumbling for an answer because I think Najee is a phenomenal person. I think he's a phenomenal player. I harbor zero, absolutely zero sort of ill will uh, towards the player. But I wonder there's something there and you can't deny it. You can't say that there's not something there. I think that's lazy uh, and I think that's sweeping something something under the rug. I think this is a great kid. Uh, it's interesting that recently in interviews, you know, when asked what he needed to work on, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing the question and the answer, but, when asked what he needed to work on, he specifically said, "I need to work on being a better teammate. I need to work on being a better teammate uh, for the player, the players around me." I thought that was an interesting response for uh, for uh, you know a fourth year senior. Uh, so when you start to put these together, I just wonder. All it is is specula- speculation, not an accusation, and there's no sort of damage or harm or, or ill intent attached to it. It's just me loving the team, loving the players, wanting to understand what's happening at a little bit deeper of a level. And so that leads me to uh, sort of asking uh, and answering for myself these types of questions. So uh, I don't think it impacts him in any sort of way. Uh, I think he's going to continue to be as dominant. uh, Talking about Najee here, as dominant as he always has been. And our root for him won't stop rooting for him. I just think there was something sort of there in that moment. Uh, and it might be interesting, you know, as the season progresses if if uh, if we learn something about that, uh, that's my two cents on there. Uh, Brian Robinson, I do think he probably would have played more had he not getting uh, gotten dinged up. Uh, Coach seems to have uh, no sort of lasting concern over that. Uh, so hopefully we'll see Brian uh, this week um, uh, coming up. Uh, Trey Sanders got some really good carries. Uh, looking forward to seeing him getting more and more uh, carries. I hesitate to say that I'm disappointed in the production from uh, those guys so far, because uh, disappointment has such a negative connotation. And I, and again, no ill will, no negative negative connotation. I probably would have would have expected that the run distribution would be uh, a little more even. That was the prediction. So the fact that I'm wrong, I'm not disappointed that I'm wrong. I'm just. I'm just calling that out. I was expecting probably a little more even distribution. We haven't quite seen that. Uh, we may see it as we get into uh, what effectively is going to be the second half uh, of the season. so so something still uh, something still to watch there. The wide receivers, you know, I mentioned this a little bit ago. I still think that Alabama, uh, has one of the best wide receiver corps in the country. And and if you want to fight me that you think they are the best, then that's great. If you think they're the fifth best, then I'm still going to say that's one of uh, the best. And so I think, you know, anytime you got Smitty and Mechie uh, lined up, you're in the competition for one of the best wide receiver corps in the country. Uh, obviously, if you add Waddle, <laughs> then that is going to going to be the best. Uh, if you add me, uh, you're still in competition for one of uh, the best uh, receiver corps. Uh, and so what you get is you sort of split the difference, definitely leaning the other way. Uh, but uh, you get Slade Bolden, uh, who I have again I thought acquitted himself very well, uh, especially especially with no expectation that he was going to come in and play such uh, such a lead role. And so Mechie had seven carry, or seven catches for one fifty one. Uh, Slade had six for ninety four, and he, he had one on his hands. Uh, and then Smitty had seven for seventy-three. So I thought that was a pretty good, a pretty even distribution ac- across those guys. Uh, I think there were a couple other fellow uh, fellows that uh, that caught passes, but uh, I thought those guys absolutely stood up. And I expect as we get into not only Mississippi State this weekend, but after the bye week, kind of the uh, the home stretch we're going to start to see more, more of uh, the receiving depth uh, players rotate in. Javon Baker is still the guy that I'm holding out uh, is, is a player to watch. And I have to say this, as soon as I saw it on the TV, I yelled it at my TV. My TV didn't appreciate it uh, like I'm hoping that you guys do. But when we think about Meche, he's from Canada. And uh, Tennessee's stat-wise on the day, not their leading receiver, but I think their best receiver uh, is Josh Palmer. And what's interesting is he is also from Canada. And what's interesting is Mechie and Palmer are from the same town in Ontario, Canada, which is just phenomenal. And it's even better that they're from Brompton, Ontario. So as soon as they put that on on the TV, I just had just a instinctive blurt out to the TV, straight out of Brompton. And so there you go. I'm dropping that on you. I got a kick out of that. My TV didn't think it was funny. And so hopefully, somewhere is uh, someone who listened to this uh, at least got a smile on their face. So, straight out of Brompton uh, with Mechie and Palmer at the wide receivers. Um, That that Brompton pipeline. Uh, I do want to talk about the offensive line. I thought Alabama's offensive line. Uh, fared well uh, Saturday, probably probably better than well. Uh, there were a couple sort of nuancey things uh, to watch for, so uh, I'll kind of call a couple of those out. I love Evan Neal. I think he's performing well at the right uh, the right tackle position. Uh, I think he uh, he just you know is able to just put people on their ass and knock them out of the play, but he's had a couple of false starts and uh, I'd like to see him clean that up. I think he had two uh, two Saturday. Obviously, that didn't cost Alabama in any sort of way, but I'd like to see him clean those up. Uh, Landon Dickerson is a hunter. Uh, Cole Kubik, uh, I follow him on Twitter, and uh, he he's always posting line play, and he showed a video of, uh, he seems like every week he puts out a video of, of Landon Dickerson putting someone on, on their ass, and it just looked like, you know, he just went hunting uh, on on a couple of plays uh, Saturday, and definitely definitely was uh, was doing work and uh, putting people on their rear ends. Uh, Deontay Brown went down with a shoulder injury, and it turns out he went down earlier than uh, earlier than I thought. I saw a a, a play snap uh, sort of breakdown, and uh, uh, I think Evan and Landon and Echior. I'm going to get the numbers uh, off a little bit, but I think they had each like 77 snaps. And I think Deontay had, I want to say it was 27 snaps. So, you know, sort of rough math. uh, He had about a third of the snaps of the other guy, uh, of the other guys. And I would have guessed that he – that, that Deontay was injured later than, than that. And so by the time that I saw him, I saw that he was out, it looked like maybe he had been out uh, a little bit, but uh, what's interesting is it it took a minute. I mean, he was out, even when I saw, he was out a little bit before anyone even commented. And uh, even before they commented, I saw him standing on, on the sideline and I thought, well, you know, he looks okay. there, just standing there. So I I took that as a good sign. And then they finally did start talking about him and they showed, you know, a, more of an up close, uh, a few seconds on him. And it looked like he was sort of working his shoulder a little bit. And I think that's what Saban says. He, he sort of dinged up uh, his shoulder there. Uh, so the line absolutely played better while he was in. Uh, when he came out, Landon shifted from center to that left guard uh, position and Chris Owens played at center. I thought he, I thought he acquitted himself uh, relatively well. Uh, and then Kendall Randolph uh, was able to get some some reps as well. When we start getting into that sixth and seventh uh, lineman, it's just the line's not as good. And there's a reason that there are starters and there's a reason that they're backups. So I'm not mad at any of the individual players. It's a reality of the situation. So what we want is we want Deontay Brown to get well, and we want him to get healthy, and we want him to get back into action. Now, that might mean that he's good to go right now and that he could have continued playing in that game had it been uh, more of a point of need. It could be that he's going to suit up on Saturday and play the whole game against Mississippi State, and there will never be another mention of him having been uh, dinged up in the Tennessee game. Obviously, that's the route uh, we're rooting for. There's also the possibility that he needs more time to rest and that he will sit out uh, the Mississippi State game and then have that extra week with the bye week going into uh, sort of the – I'm calling it the home stretch of the season. I don't know where the truth is in that. I don't know where the reality is on that. But that's absolutely something that we should keep an eye out for and uh, and see how that plays out. Uh, the team is better with Deontay Brown. And so if he plays a quarter against Mississippi State and then puts it on ice for, you know, for the next couple of weeks, I'm 100% good with that. Again, something we should watch. And, uh, track against, but love the way the offensive line, uh, is playing and just overall love the production of this, uh, this offensive, uh, offensive unit. All right. So mini game ball, mini game ball going to Miller Forstall. He is, uh, he has caught a couple mini game balls, uh, so far this season. Uh, this guy is, is, is apparently tough as nails, uh, last week against Georgia, he was carted off the field uh, with an ankle injury. It looked like they they taped it back up, and he came back in and played. Uh, this week, looked like he had an injury. I don't think they carted him off. I don't specifically recall if he went back to the locker room. Maybe maybe he did go to halftime a little bit early, but uh, it was a shoulder uh, injury. He landed uh, landed harshly and had a had a had a shoulder injury. And so this guy is getting dinged up. Multiple weeks in a row, different types of injury. He's getting it sort of all over, and he continues to come out and play uh, and perform. So I think we got to get a give a, a hats off to, to Miller Forstall. This is a guy that I don't know if we've said it on the podcast necessarily, uh, but Danielson mentioned it that he's almost a sort of a glue guy at the at the tight end. And I like they you know a quote that they attributed to to Forstall. And I'll paraphrase it poorly, but uh, along the lines of, you know, his philosophy is, I want to learn to do everything, so they can't take me out of the game. And uh, and I and I like that mentality. And if that's something that I think is has really sort of carried with him uh, throughout his career, and he's at a place where I always you sort of this style, if you will, of tight end, I think Brian Vogler is kind of at the the top of that, that level in my mind. I don't think quite, I don't think, you know, foresaw is quite at a Vogler Vogler level, but he's closer to it, you know, now than I would have given him a month ago. And so uh, again, relative to this style uh, of tight end, I consider that high praise. And here's, here's what I'll say. Here's what I'm building up to poorly. And I'll go so far as to, is to, you know, call this a it's not a hot take but uh you know maybe something of a uh, maybe something of a prediction i think that miller forestall he's a senior and then with his COVID year with the eligibility uh you know not going to count i would not be surprised and i would just about predict that this will happen but i would not be surprised if miller forestall came back next year and you say well he's a senior he's graduated he has a chance to go to the nfl why would he Why would he come back, you know, for another year? And so, well, let's think about that. Does he have – how would you grade his shot uh, at the NFL? He's not a first-round pick, not a second-round pick, not a third-round pick, not a fourth-round pick. When would he get picked into the NFL? Brian Vogler has bounced around the NFL maybe a little bit. I don't know if he's on a practice squad today or not. I I don't know that. But Brian Vogler is not going to be a household name. Uh, you know, in the NFL now, can he scrap together a couple years and on practice squads, uh, and 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 make some cash doing that and have some fun? Absolutely, absolutely. That's not a, that's not a question. That that opportunity doesn't go away uh, for Miller if he stays. Uh, if he stays one more year, that that opportunity actually probably uh, probably enhances. But you think about a Miller, and I'm not sat down and asked him this, but you think about what do you want to do. Well, a lot of, a lot of players, they want to become coaches. They want to get into that line of work. They want to get into that profession. And so if you think about what is going to give me maybe the best chance at cashing some NFL checks and also give me the best chance to maybe hook on as a high school or college coach, what's going to give me the best opportunity? Well, you could list a lot of things, and another year in Saban's system uh, I would have to think would rank rank pretty high. So, again, I don't know the young man. I don't know what his vision is. I don't know what his sort of life plan is. Uh, but if I play with a very narrow focus that says, well, he probably wants to give a shot to the NFL, just to, to say that he gave that a shot, um, I might – say that he has a low probability of, of really sort of making a career at it, but, you know, could he, could he make a camp? Could he make a practice squad? Yeah, I think he probably could. And is there a potential that he would want to uh, potentially get into coaching? I think there's a, there's a fair likelihood at that. And so how do you sort of string that together? Like I said, another year under the Saban, uh, under the Saban system uh, probably doesn't hurt. And you know, guess what? What if he wants to go be a real estate agent or an engineer, or financial advisor, or go trade stocks on 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 Wall Street. Do you think another year working with Sabin and getting your name out there and and building you know contacts in that way? Uh, do you think that hurts? What if he wants to be a sportscaster? And so another year, uh, you know, with Saban, another year having a, an opportunity to to intern all of those things. So again, I don't know the guy's life plan. I'm spending way too many minutes on this uh, than I should. Uh, But uh, I, I just, I just think there's a really good opportunity that forestall stays uh, stays next year. If you look at the tight end position as has, has not been a strong one uh, the last couple of years. And, and while we have a couple of guys coming in, are they going to be able to immediately sort of overturn uh, the position. I don't think they are. And so Miller, I think could come back and 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 start and and maybe uh, expand, start next year and maybe even expand on his role. So again, too many minutes spent on that. Uh, but that's my, that is my, uh, that is a prediction. And of course, uh, Miller Forrestal offensive mini game ball for the Tennessee game 2020. Hey, you all know I'm a serious Tide fan, but I'm also a whiskey guy. You know I like my brown waters. Apparently, Facebook does too, and we're all better for it. Recently, up popped an ad for Legends Drinkware glasses, and it was easily the coolest thing I'd seen in a while. But wow, now that I have these in my hands, I'm blown away. You know our Crimson Tide is rooted in tradition, class, and style. Somehow, the crew at Legends Drinkware distilled each of these elements into their glasses. No detail is overlooked. Lead-free, crystal glass, hand-blown in America. Even the packaging is top shelf. And the gym-like logo, well, it calls out to you. Roll Tide with every sip. All right, let's flip the field and talk defense. I think there's a lot to like about this defense. Uh, We just broke down the offense, but uh, I think there's a lot to like uh, about this defense. Uh, Let me throw this at you. And hats uh, off to Dr. James. He, what do you say, twitted me? Uh, he sent me a Twitter message during the game uh, at the end of the first quarter, and he said, hey, that's three consecutive quarters of Alabama shutout. After uh, Alabama shutout uh, second half uh, Georgia last week and uh, first quarter against Tennessee. And, and if you sort of play that through, Tennessee, obviously, they did score in this game. They scored on the, uh, in, in the second and third quarter. Uh, but shut out in the fourth quarter as well. So you could say that uh, four of the last eight quarters of football, Alabama defense has shut out the opponent. That's not world beaters. That's not two consecutive shutouts. uh, That's not trying to cherry pick stats. It's just true. Uh, And when we're looking for trend lines on the defense, that's certainly something to look at, certainly something to track. Uh, The defense did hold Tennessee to 4 of 16 on third downs. Uh, that's pretty darn good, Uh, 2 of 4 on fourth downs. They held Tennessee to 302 total yards of offense. I think in this era of ball, uh, I think that's pretty good. I think I've got uh, 163 passing, uh, 139 rushing. Uh, Those are pretty good numbers too. We always like it when we'll hold someone to 30 yards rushing, and I get it, I do understand that. But in the context of, uh, of this different style of game, Uh, those numbers are going to be harder to come by. Also in the context of what we're seeing from this defense, this is improvement, and let's recognize it and appreciate it uh, for what it is. I think this Tennessee team, and this will immediately sound like uh, I'm taken away from the defense, and I don't intend it this way at all, uh, but I think this Tennessee team rolled over very early. and What is it? Early, early in the second quarter, they had a fourth and two at the Alabama 15, they were down by 14 and they kicked. I think they should have gone for the field goal. It's a game you're already down by 14. You're supposed to lose by 21, and you've made it to the 15. I, yeah, put points on the board, but that's a concession. In my book, that is a concession. If you're playing to win, you demonstrate some some tenacity. You demonstrate some faith in your team, both offense and defense. You've made it down to the 15. You've only got to get two for a first down. Surely, in your playbook, you have a play that can get you two yards. Even, even if it's just hunker down and push them off the line, uh, you're supposed to have a, a really stout line. Bring in you know six and seven linemen and, and make a push. Or maybe you have some trickeration in your playbook that, that you feel confident that can get you two yards. That's This is when you pull that out. You don't save that play. What are you saving it for? You pull it out. You play it. This is a game that you're going to lose. But, man, if you can make it competitive, you rally your fan base. You rally support for your uh, tenure as a coach. Uh, uh, you know They're going into a bye week. Uh, and so you sort of lay it on the field. I think it it would have it would potentially have have done great work uh, for Jeremy Pruitt and the Tennessee program, and it just felt like so early in the game that's just rolling over. Now, I'll play the devil's advocate to a point. Alabama has fourteen points, and you can reason that if we kick a field goal here, then with only one touchdown, with the extra point. That's eight. I've got three. That's eleven. So another field goal I can I can tie this thing up. And so I really only need to score, you know, one touchdown. And so why not go ahead and get one of those field goals now? That is such a stretch. That is stretch arm strong stretch. Um you still need the touchdown. So get the damn touchdown. Uh when you're that close, go for it. Uh also, do you really think over two more possessions that you're going to hold Alabama to to no scoring and that you're going to cobble together another field goal, a touchdown and a two-point conversion to tie it at 14. You're not. And so by getting to 3 and you sort of math wizard your way into a tie game at 14, you're already playing you're already playing from behind because that's a that's because you're not going to hold them to 14. And so get the touchdown, make it a one-score game, make a statement, make a statement with your offense. And so not that I'm a Tennessee fan by any stretch of the imagination, but damn, that was just disappointing to see. You like to see an opponent – opponent. I mean, look, I want to kick all their asses, but you like to see an opponent with a little bit of fire in his belly, and especially Pruitt, especially Jeremy Pruitt. We love Jeremy Pruitt. He's an Alabama boy. He is on the short list of maybe coaches that could replace Saban. And so what I saw when he did that, I don't want to see that. I don't want, I don't want that to be a part of a coach that potentially comes in and replaces Samen. I want to see a coach that says, I know I'm outmatched, but I'm going to fight and I'm going to leave it. I'm going to die here on this field. I'm going to put everything out there. And to kick that field goal was a concession. And so I have said, I've I've borderline predicted that I thought he might be the next coach. He moves down my list. If I had a, like a, a rank list, he would move down a spot, maybe two spots, you know, based on that play. Uh, still talking Alabama defense, but I have to say Garantano threw three beautiful passes. I think for the most part, he was he was absolutely shut down. I think he threw three beautiful passes. Battle, uh, Jordan Battle got beat one-on-one on slot coverage, uh, and that way he just got out-athleted. He got outran uh, on that play. I don't think that's his fault necessarily. I think we need to watch that matchup a little more closely. Uh, PS2 uh, got beat on a touchdown pass. I don't think he could have defended that any better. We talk about Mac Jones throwing into coverage, putting the ball where only the receiver can catch it, putting it at just in incredibly tight windows, uh, you couldn't run down there and put it in the in the receiver's hands any better than that pass did. Well, Mac Jones does that with a with a degree of regularity. Garantano just hit a couple of those and he hit one uh against PS2. That is not a knock on Sertain. It's just a reality of that situation. And then there was another pass. Fortunately, the receiver stepped out of bounds, uh, although they did um they didn't go back and watch the 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 footage as much as they could, and, and Tennessee ended up scoring uh, on the PS2 play, so it, it almost didn't, it almost sort of you know balanced out, uh, and I think that was Daniel Wright. I think he was a little bit out of position, and those are three beautiful passes. Uh, but aside from that, really, really like what we saw uh, across the across the defense. So I'm going to hit some highlights. I'm not going to name all the players, but uh, I, you know, sort of across all three levels, uh, the defensive line. I think is absolutely really coming together. We're not getting the pass rush that we would like to have, but I think the defensive uh, front is really coming together. I really like Byron Young and Phil Darian Mathis, two big boys wearing forty numbers forty what forty seven and forty eight. It looks like who who are those, you know who are those fat linebackers out there? And man, they are phat. They are. Big, mobile, nimble, moving around, uh, defensive end type players. They are incredibly fun to watch, uh, continuing to sort of hit their stride uh, and make big plays. Uh, Byron Young obviously is the younger of the two, and so he's got a little more runway. But I like to see both of those guys because uh, they are nimble bodies, uh, especially especially for big men. Tim Smith, number 50, a uh, true freshman at the nose. I hear some people speculating that the defensive line plays better when he's in there. Um, I would probably need to see some more reps there, but I like him rotating in Uh, DJ Dale. I I really like him, but I'm not seeing him be as maybe as efficient or effective as I thought he was early in the season last year. Uh, So I'd like to see him sort of step up a little bit, but I really like what we're seeing from Tim Smith. Uh, Jamel Burrows, a true freshman is getting some run and that's fun to see too. Uh, Some depth, uh, some depth, continuing to, to develop there. Uh, Boyby is, you know, continues to play well. There are others, Christian Barrymore. He's a swatting flies out there. Uh, I don't think a game has gone by that he's played where he hasn't, uh, he hasn't batted a ball. And, uh, last week against Georgia that netted out in an interception, uh, certainly against Tennessee, he batted a ball and that had an impact. Uh, so I think he's swatting flies. I think he's mobile. He's, he's, he's nimble again for another big boy. And I think he's going to continue to – I don't want to say he's held back by that knee injury. I think that sort of impacted him getting a slower start than uh, than maybe was expected. But i look for him to take off the second half of the season. Uh, watch uh, watch for Big 58, Christian Barrymore. Linebackers, I thought they played better. Uh, there's still work to do. It's still a work in process. But Christian Harris, 10 tackles on the game. He was the team leader in tackles. Uh, I should have looked up the, the team stats on the season, but I did predict – that he would be the the leading tackler for the team, and uh, I feel pretty comfortable that he's on pace for that. Uh, Dylan Moses played with more pop this week. Uh, I think he had ten or eleven tackles last week against Georgia, but a lot of people were sort of bailing on on uh, Moses that, uh, that he just looked out of sorts and and, and wasn't playing well. That may well uh, that may well be. He looked more on point Saturday uh, against Tennessee, and so I think that's more of the Moses that we're going to get again, especially coming out of the the bye week. I know we've got Mississippi State coming up. I'm not looking too far ahead, but I'm just, you know, if you start to sort of peek around the corner, uh, I think this defense is really going to gel, and we're going to start to see these players play better and better. Uh, speaking of gelling, the secondary, I really like what we have uh, coming together here uh, here in the secondary. It's a lot of parts that are still being uh, sort of sanded down and, and fit together, but I really like what we have here. I think Josh Shobe and Patrick Sertain, uh, probably the best corner duo in the SEC. If you think it's someone else, then let's have that conversation. Uh, but I think these guys are really, really good and performing at a high level. Uh, Sertain had three pass deflections uh, Saturday. That's just that's just incredible. So he is incredibly fun to watch. Malachi Moore, man, he just continues to assert himself. I think he's had a couple of picks now. Uh, he had the strip six. Uh, against Tennessee, he just reached in and and grabbed that ball, uh, and then picked it up and ran in for a touchdown. He, here's my narrative on on Malachi Moore, and, and and this is interesting, and and you guys may have seen this as well as well. But uh, Saturday night, there were a couple uh, a couple of groups or a couple of folks, uh, anyways, that are, appeared to be arguing over who first said. That they thought Malachi Moore reminded them of Minka, and I thought, well, that's funny. I don't know how many weeks ago we said that on the podcast, uh, but it was funny that during the game they were they were arguing about who said it first. Uh, and I thought, well, why don't we just celebrate that the fact that that he's a damn good player and uh, and and uh, it, the fact that he reminds us of a young Minka? I think is phenomenal. I saw someone else speculate that he reminded them of uh, of a D. Milner, and D's another player. Uh, was All-America in the secondary at Alabama, and we absolutely loved him. And so if Malachi is some hybrid of Minka and Milliner, oh boy, I think uh, that's the kind of player we're looking for. So uh, I think that's phenomenal. I think he continues to get better and better. And so we talk about the secondary getting better. Uh, Malachi Moore is is contributing significantly in that. I think Daniel Wright, a player that maybe we thought should have cycled out, and I'm not 100% done with, uh, with that philosophy. But when I think about him, when I watch him on Saturday, he seemed to play with more aggression and the expression. and if you've listened to podcast for for a while, you've heard us. Uh, we went through a couple of seasons where we're talking about Robert Lester and we're talking about how oh, you know any number of players that they, they seem to be comfortable now. They seem to be playing with a level of comfort, and I'm starting to see that from Daniel Wright. And so I wouldn't be surprised if Saturday, and then coming out of the bye, we start to you know you know dot connect his play you know trending upward. Uh, if he seems comfortable, and, and it's a blend of comfortable and disciplined, he's got he's got extraordinary athletic ability, and uh, you know sometimes he'll play outside of the mold of the system. And if he'll just play within the system, let the game come to him, get comfortable in that, and then and then use his athleticism sort of within that uh, that that box of discipline. I think we're going to see his game take off. Uh, Jordan Battle continues to be one of the best player, one of the better players uh, in the, in the secondary, and so we look forward to seeing him continue to develop. And then De, uh, Demarco Helms, he was injured and. Uh, I saw a stat. I saw a stat of uh, sort of a play breakdown. I can't remember the exact number, but it was a really low number, like seven um, snaps. You know, uh, single-digit low number uh, of snaps that Helms had uh, on Saturday. And so I don't specifically remember seeing where he got hurt. And secondary players sometimes potentially even away from the ball, uh, it's hard to track. But uh, need him to get healthy. And so if that means he doesn't play Saturday. Uh, against state, but uh, gets that extra extra rest and recovery, uh, then I'm good with that. But I think the secondary is better when he's available. Uh, when he's not there, we shuffle not the nickel so much, but we shuffle uh, we shuffle the dime, uh, and we bring in Brian Branch. I really like Brian, and I think he's a player, uh, another true freshman that's going to continue to to grow and sort of burst out on the scene. Uh, but I like DeMarco too. I like what he brings to the table. Um, he's, he's a little more of a thumper. He's a bigger fella. And so, uh, I like having him back there. So we need to make sure that he is healthy and, uh, ready to go. All right. So let's talk mini game ball on defense. I'm going to go a little bit sentimental, uh, but I'm going to go Joshua McMillan. Uh, Josh is, is definitely a six year senior and he has uh, recovered from a couple of significant knee injuries, uh, including one last year caused him, to, caused him uh, to miss the whole season. And so he has come back, and as he's sort of worked his way back in uh, from knee injury, he has played some fullback, and I thought he's played very, very well at fullback. And in fact, he earned a mini-game ball uh, at fullback a couple of weeks ago. But on Saturday, he got some run at linebacker, and he had a couple uh, a couple of tackles, including one for a loss, and uh, I thought that was uh, I w- that was heartening to see. I was very pleased to see that. Seeing him do that against Tennessee sort of sparked a memory, and I went back and validated this is true. Uh, Joshua McMillan is from Memphis, and Memphis and Knoxville opposite ends of the state, but it's the same state, and uh, a lot of Memphis kids do go to Knoxville. They do go to Tennessee, so I, th- I just like sort of the subtle, you know, tip of the cap that uh, this gets you some run at linebacker against uh, against Tennessee uh, because that's your former uh, home state, and that will carry some meaning for you. So uh, a little bit of a sentimental kick uh, there, uh, giving the mini game ball to, to Josh, but uh, was glad to get to see him uh, have some run there at middle linebacker. And uh, I appreciate – I don't know if I'm reading more into it than what the coaches had intended, but that's fine. I don't mind that being uh, how my brain looks at it. And uh, to the extent that that's true, I certainly appreciate the coaches doing that. All right, you hear my paper shuffling. Uh, Next up, Mississippi State. You know, the Pirate is traveling to Tuscaloosa this Saturday to help celebrate uh, Nick Saban's birthday, Coach Saban's birthday. And so we appreciate uh, him going to such uh, great lengths. I'm going to tell you what, I am really excited uh, about this game, and I'm excited about this game for a couple of reasons. Uh, First, I can be selfish in this. This is my first game this, this season back in Tuscaloosa. So the whole COVID thing sort of threw off the tickets that you have and which games you can go to. And it really reduced, uh, what I had an opportunity, uh, to attend. And so this is the first game this season. I'll get to, uh, you know, knock on wood, attend three games live, uh, this last stretch of the season. And this is the first of those three. So I'm definitely excited uh, to be back in Tuscaloosa. Uh, definitely some places I want to check out. And, um, uh, look forward to that, so I'm excited about that. This also is the uh, is the game where our contest winner we did a raffle for a ticket, uh, and so Brian is joining me for uh, a game in Tuscaloosa, so that'll be fun. We look forward to spending some time uh, watching watching ball, Brian. You know, the good news is uh, you get to go to the game. The bad news is you have to sit with me, but uh, hey, uh, hopefully that'll work out. And uh, and then I'm also excited about this this game because I think the challenge. It represents. I don't think this is a game that Alabama can lose. I mean, you could lose any of the games. I understand that. I don't think this is a game that is a threat, is a a legit threat to lose. But it's a test. It's a test for the secondary, and it's a test for the pass rush. And so, you know, let's let's think about that. We need to see, Alabama needs to see improvement in both of those areas. We are starting to see some of that improvement in the secondary. So I'm looking forward to the challenge of how the secondary sort of rises uh, to this type of, of passing attack. I'm excited to see it live. And unfortunately, we're going to be way up in the upper deck, but at least have sort of a bird's eye view of the secondary, the, 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 the players, the play. I uh, even bought brand new binoculars for So I'm, I'm uh, really excited uh, in that regard. Also the pass rush. The pass rush hasn't quite been getting home, and I think they start to have some success uh, Saturday uh, against Mississippi State. Looking at some of the stats, and this is maybe even a fourth reason to, to get excited uh, about playing this Mississippi State team, They you think about trending and trending the wrong way uh, week one, Mississippi State scored 44 points and uh, put up 623 yards uh, of offense against LSU. That was a shocking finding. That was a shocking sort of result. But in weeks two through four, they've lost all three of those games. They scored a total of 30 points. So 44 in one game, 30 across each of the other three games. They scored two points against Kentucky. Um 623 yards of offense against LSU in week one, 644 yards total in all three of the the next games combined. And they played Texas A&M, uh, who held them to 99 yards of offense. Wow. Uh, uh, Kentucky, who held Mississippi State to two points. They also had four interceptions. And then Arkansas, most recently, who had three interceptions against Mississippi State. And so I think that starts, you know, if I'm in the secondary, I start salivating at the opportunity that represents. If I am uh, a defensive lineman, I start salivating at the opportunity uh, that that represents. Uh, KJ Costello, I think, is a capable quarterback, uh, but he's more statue than he is mobile. I think the pass rush you know, like I said, really does get home. Uh, his running stats are more negative sack uh, type stats than they are, you know, positive gain uh, ground gainers. So I, I think that this is an opportunity for the defense to really show a facet uh, of their game that we've not seen. I actually go so far as uh, predicting two interceptions, and I'll be playful with that. I think Malachi Moore gets uh, gets an intersection, interception interception. I think Patrick Sertain gets uh, an interception. And if I had to pick a third one, because I think there's an opportunity uh, for three uh, INTs as well, I'm going to go Daniel Wright. And so we may have three interceptions, and it'd be three different defenders. And you know what? That's going to be okay too. But uh, I think the defense has the opportunity. There, It's a live wire. It is a live wire because this is a team and offense that, that can put up points. So they can sort of be cagey in that way. I don't think they're a threat to outscore Alabama. And I do think it's an opportunity for the defense to to almost toy uh, with this offense. And um, they can really put up some impressive stats uh, and have an impressive uh, day. I think I'm going to step out there in my prediction uh, of a score. I think this is a 52-14 to uh, type uh, game. So I think Alabama uh, uh, gets ahead early and stays ahead late. And it ends up being a, a really fun game, uh, especially for the defense, uh, and I think especially for the secondary because I think uh, I think they sort of eat lunch. Uh, I think they eat Mississippi State's lunch, uh, and so I think that's going to make uh, make for a, a super uh, a super fun game. All right, so last sort of closing thought. I'm going to ask you know borderline beg. Uh, <laughs> Send me your best Bryant-Denny stories. If you've never been to a Bryant-Denny game, maybe you saw Alabama play at Legion Field because we played there for, for so long. Or maybe you're out of state, you're out of country, and you've not visited either of those stadiums, but you have a favorite memory uh, with friends and family uh, watching a game on on TV or in the garage sort of just hanging out, cheering. Send me your story for an opportunity to win a pair of glasses, from Legends Drinkware. Uh, these are absolutely phenomenal glasses, and I'm trying to give a pair away. And so we're going to collect stories through this week, and we're going to announce the winner. Uh, we're going to try to announce the winner in the uh, Mississippi State game, sort of that ballpark. If not in the podcast, then, then uh, you know, certainly uh, via email. So there's a handful of days. From the time you get this, there's a handful of days. Drop me a quick email we will at Al- Alabama football, uh, Alabama football podcast at gmail.com. Drop me an email. We'll collect those stories. We'll pick a winner. And these things are phenomenal glasses. They are phenomenal. Uh, go to legends Drinkware Dot com. These things are absolutely phenomenal. Enter a contest, do yourself a favor, enter, uh, an, for an opportunity to win a pair of them. And, uh, if you don't win, that's okay because you know, everyone's a winner. Uh, you have an opportunity to use code AFB10, and I think I used—I think I said the wrong code in the podcast last week. So, I, uh, fool you on me, but AFB10 uh, for a 10% discount, and you know what, effectively will be your new favorite uh, glasses. So, uh, give that a shot. Go check them out. Send me an email. Have a chance to win, and uh, like I said, everyone's a winner. These make great Christmas gifts. All sorts of good stuff there. All right, enough sort of rambling there. Uh, definitely looking forward to Mississippi State game. I uh, appreciate you guys listening along. And uh, with that, this has been another edition of the Alabama Football Podcast. Roll Tide. Thanks for listening to the Alabama Football Podcast. We love that you're tuned in and hope that you enjoyed the show. We encourage you to reach out and let us know what you like, where we can improve, or just a shout out a Roll Tide. We are where you are itunes facebook twitter email newsletters t-shirts free roster downloads and of course on the web at alabamafootballpodcast.com check us out where you'll find easy links to your favorite way to follow the tie got that coach of course roll tide